Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I am Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This is the rundown with Robin Rich. Every Friday at 3 p.m., we kind of take you into the weekend with a recap of all the latest happenings in the mortgage industry, uh, some discussion, uh, strive for the show as it has been to be interactive. So please, any comments, questions, jokes, anecdotes, please drop them into the chat or the Q&A, and we will incorporate them into the show uh, as I am every week, joined by Rob Crisman. Rob, are you actually in your house? Uh, I am in in my house. Did your wife think it was like an intruder when you came in? (laughs) She doesn't know I'm here, Rich. Okay. Makes more sense then. So, And once again, uh, very pleased to be joined in the co-pilot seat, our good friend, the COO from Partners Credit and Verification Services, Tracy Kingdonadio. Tracy, I apologize in advance for what my Browns did to your Bears last weekend. Poor Justin Fields, but uh, we'll get that out of the way right out of the gate. I appreciate well. that. Lots of um, lots of uh, hot tempers in regards to the Bears, because I don't know if you've heard, but they're going to move out of Soldier Field. So that's mm-hmm. a big issue right now in Chicago. And that's about as much as I know about it, including um, just learning that they played the Browns last week. So go Bears. Wow. So between that, Tracy, and uh, and and have you recovered from Kayak Gate from the, uh, the TMC right. event? Yeah. If, um, we had a lot of participants sign up for the kayaking event at, in uh, Terrania. We all went down there after drinking a lot of wine the night before. We showed up. But we were the only ones that showed up. So we ended up having a great morning because the it was nothing on Mortgage Collaborative. The the hotel kind of screwed up sending someone down there. And we had some good laughs and ended up having a pretty funny breakfast with a lot of the participants. So it ended up being a story. But yes, fully recovered. Are you recovered, Just, Rob? I am. I, I was actually glad we had an excuse not to go into uh, Davy Jones's locker there. Yeah, you know, the sea is a uh, is a fickle mistress, and um, I, you know, who is. knows what might have happened. I know. I someone would have toppled over, or yeah, it would have it would have been a mess. I think I, it, I had my water wings on, so I would have been okay. But who knows what else might have happened? Right. I mean, you like at a resort that great. It's the resort is like so amazing. They evidently don't even feel like they need to send the kayak instructor down for the scheduled uh, kayaking event. But uh, it's <laughs> this property. Like they could have, they could have kicked me in the nuts as I was checking out. I would have, I would have went back to the next week. That place was so nice, honestly. So no, I think that was the one thing that didn't work. And as Rob said, I did have a little bit of you know, oh, we want this to happen, but. Do I really want to get out there in the wind and kayak right now? The answer was no, but um, it still would have been fun. But either way, I'm super happy to be here today with you guys. So I know we want to talk about mortgages at some point, but Rich, what'd you say about like you would have been back the next week if even if they'd done what? I I went to, I I did go to Tyrannia, like, you know, take one for the team, you know, four, three or four months before the event to, you know, QC the property and, you know, check out all the meeting rooms and all that for like five days. And the service was really bad, honestly. But, you know, I, I, as I was leaving, I was like, man, I I didn't even care. Like bad service there. Uh, But in the service all in all was phenomenal. I was a little worried the week we were there outside of the kayak mishap, but uh 
A lot of demand to go back there. I think you may see another TMC event there in the not too distant future. So, and there's the Fountain Blue in March. Fountain Blue in March, yeah, another great property, South Beach, Miami. So it's March 19 to 22. So it'll be another another fun one. But uh, yeah, Tracy, apologies for that. But as always, a lot of partners credit love at the TMC event. A lot of our members uh, speaking very nicely about you guys. The level your your team is really just great people. Um, great service. And a lot of members that had told me about uh, just being able to save a lot of money each month by moving their credit and verification stuff over to you guys. So thank you very much for, it's been a long partnership now and really appreciate you guys. So we appreciate you Beck. It's been a great relationship and we love these events for customers that we have prospects or just conversations we're able to have with people in the industry that aren't our customers, it's beneficial to us and we really appreciate it. And I've, I've not only, you know, had strength in our relationship with our customers, but I've gotten some really great friendships out of it. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing personally and professionally. Is this time for a group hug? <laughs> We're going to start singing Kumbaya in just a second, because I think everyone would love to see you do that, Rob. It seems right up your alley. Just in the shower, but um, uh, I know I know Rich probably has some topics that he wants to talk about. But since you brought up the, the conversation and the clients, and, and Rich mentioned clients saving money with partners, um, are you seeing the the fabled, um, uh, you know, when margins get tight, when volumes are are going down a little bit, and margins get tighter and so forth. And I know margin compression is happening in different parts of our industry, whether it's direct to consumer or wholesale, retail correspondent. Are you seeing among your clients uh, uh, a re- more of a push than normal to bicker about price? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because no one wants to be the first to admit that things are slowing down for them. You know, you talk to them and say, how are things going? Oh, busy as ever, busy as ever. But you start to see different trends come through um, and different conversation topics come up. I think it's uh, everyone was so busy last year. Um, pipelines were constantly full. And now there are different questions coming um, I think they're having more time for different vendors to come in and and sweet talk them and see what different options are. But, um, you know, margin compression, credit report pricing um, has increased year over year. And that has little to nothing to do with the actual credit reporting agencies such as myself. We have to pass along fees. They increase. You know, when I started Back in 2003, I think it was an individual credit report was $8, a joint was 13 I mean, and from where that is to now, it's just, uh, it's completely different. And it's still the key point of entry for, for all of our customers to, to reach out to prospects of borrowers they want to work with. So they have to pull. So um, I think a lot of what our customers are looking at, yeah, it's that margin compression. And they're looking also now um, into different methods to get people in the door, because I think it's starting to slow down in terms of people just coming in because rates are low and they need to refi. I think people are starting to think about more on retention, uh, post-closing and looking at monitoring borrower data after that. And then also, uh, being able to screen for target groups in their uh, areas to be able to to get letters out quicker to these borrowers that meet their criteria. 
So I didn't mean to hijack the conversation here, Rich, but I did have a follow-up question to that uh, for, for Tracy. Namely, uh, I, I know that when uh, you know, I was managing people and I still manage people to some extent, but when somebody who reports to me comes in and says, well, I'd like a raise, and then you say, well, gosh, you know, why, you know, why? And they say, well, I just, I just bought a car and I've got car payments or, uh, you know, my, my ex-husband, the alimony is cut off or whatever it might be. There was right. a, a need on their side for money rather than coming to me and saying, well, I, I'd like a raise and here's why I've added these responsibilities and I've been putting in a lot of overtime and I expect that to continue. And I, you know, took this class and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So without, without revealing too much secret sauce, Tracy, if somebody, if somebody comes to a vendor, if you had to give somebody a lender, some advice to come to a vendor to say why there should be a change in price structure, what, what are the, what are the good reasons to what, you know, what, what are the good reasons for that? Well, here's one thing is if you're going, if someone, someone's always going to undercut me on price and I'm going to undercut somebody else on price. If I just came in and say, I can give it to you for a dollar cheaper, whatever we can all do each other, do that to each other always. And, um, but honestly, that shouldn't be what is going to get your attention. One, it's important for us and for our customers is to constantly have a conversation with them of how they can reduce their their costs. And that's not just by slicing prices. Um, you should be having conversations with your vendor on an ongoing basis to look at your habits, to look at how your team is working, um, to look at your processes. Uh, otherwise, it, it sounds great if someone says, I'm going to save you this amount of money uh, this year. Well, what happens next year when it turns into they just have shoddy services and they're going to raise your prices as everyone does every year? It's it's what's going to be the continued conversation that you have with your vendor. And that could be for credit. It could be across the board. But if your vendor is not providing solutions to you and approaching you before you approach them, that's when you should start questioning things. Because you know, for us, what we recognize, it's prices always increase. You start to have to look at what are your methods and are you doing things in a way that makes sense? Because we all get stuck. It's interesting because we have, <laughs> there's so many new products that come into our industry all the time. It's something new all the time, but it'll grab your attention and it makes you seem like, oh, I've got to switch. Oh, I've got to do that. Oh, we've never thought of this before. But a lot of times there's so much in front of you that you're just not considering because you're not continuing that conversation. You use that vendor for forever. You've um, been, it's, it's credit reports. It's what you need, but there are different ways to kind of go about um, doing your business in a, in a smarter way to save money for you and your team. If you have these conversations and, and allow people to kind of see your methods and your processes. And, and obviously in a compliant way. Well, yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's the big thing too, is that, you know, a lot of people can come in and, and say that they can do things for you, but as I've heard on your guys shows that you've been doing the last few weeks and, and a lot at the TMC is coming up of 
one of the biggest things that you need to be investing in as a lender is looking at your compliance and making sure that that's where it needs to be. And it sounds like um, with our uh, newly appointed CFPB, that might be uh, something extra that you need to even pay more attention to. And that's a, a great unintentional hijack segue to where I was going. Was it? Was yeah. it unintentional, Rich? <laughs> um, Rob, as a wise sage in the industry, several decades of experience, I think people look to you for calm. Who should be more nervous right now? United Wholesale stock owners, $6 a share, uh, Anthony Shee's legal team, or all the compliance people in America now that Rohit Chopra is the director of the CFPB? Is that, is that a question for me, by the way? What group of people should be the most nervous? Not for me. <laughs> um, so... I'd argue the United Wholesale stockholders, but I'll see to your opinion. I know you love talking about United Wholesale. I'm not going to say anything bad about United Wholesale, but um, you've got, first of all, let's, let's, let's do the easy one first. So uh, there's a lot of conversation out there about uh, the, the now public lawsuit that Tammy Richards has against Anthony Shea and Lone Depot. Uh, it was in the New York Times. And so it's unusual for uh, something like that to be so widely spread <clears throat> through the industry. Um, I'm sure where there's smoke, there's some fire there. Uh, in though, uh, talking to some various attorneys around the industry about that particular lawsuit, uh, you know, the um, uh, it may just kind of fizzle out. And, and I'm not saying that. Uh, because it didn't, the things that she alleges didn't happen. But I think the attorneys that I've spoken to have plenty of reason to question the the verbiage presented in the lawsuit and not really paint too sympathetic of a picture of uh, uh, of her. And so it'll be interesting, as always, to see where things go. Like I said, anybody can sue anybody about anything. The question is, where will it go from here? And I'm sure uh, Lone Depot has plenty of attorneys that are, uh, you know, that are, that have been called on to, uh, you know, all hands on deck to deal with this. So I don't know where it'll go anywhere. It could just grind on for years. I, it's not like one of those things. It's not like the CFPB against PHH or something like that. It's not some kind of huge case law. It's a, it's a sexual harassment. And I think the industry has been very curious about some of the tidbits that are in there, some of the, some of the comments about the inner workings of Lone Depot that uh, is, is more interesting to the folks in the industry than maybe the lawsuit itself. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, I, if, there, if there was wrong done, obviously we all want that to be rectified, uh, but it could grind on for a while and, and probably settle at some point. With regard to United Wholesale and the stock price, yeah, the stock price continues to bump down, as does uh, uh, you know, HomePoint or or Loan Depot stock for that matter. Some of the publicly, uh, some of the public companies, or at least those those companies that have gone public within the last year, Finance of America, uh, Guild, uh, people are pointing to Guild as kind of the poster child of of you know a company that maybe. Maybe doing okay, 
um, because the stock price isn't down as much as much as the others. You've got these wholesalers who were oftentimes backed by private equity or even venture capital, and those institutions took their money and run. Is it? It isn't as if they went public and plowed the money back into, you know, expansion or or new office desks or whatever it might be. It was a return to the to the uh, the investors, and now that they have their money. Uh, the companies can go about. Uh, you know, doing what they do, which is originate or buy mortgages. But the fact of the matter is, it isn't as if we didn't in the industry think, all right, these these appear to be overvalued. Uh, rates are going to go up or have a tendency to go up more than go down. They are selling at the highs of the market after a fantastic 2020 and early 2021. And so we in the industry basically knew what was going on there. The, the interesting thing is where we go from here. And uh, there are people out there, I mean, there's still a market in these stocks. There are still institutions and people who want to buy that stock. I would not be one of them because I'm pretty heavily invested in the mortgage banking industry already. So there's no need for me to, to do that. And as I mentioned, I think a week or two ago, Rich, I think it's, I think it's a personal, personally, I don't give financial advice for a fee or anything, but I think it's a mistake for people, even though they know the industry very well, to double down and put their whole retirement money, all their retirement money into an industry where they're already working. Um, you know, what? diversification uh-huh. is very, very important. What's that? Uh-oh, whoops. <laughs> well, I mean, we know- we Where know. were you with this advice a couple of years ago? Well, I think I mentioned this before, you know, it's really too bad when I travel around and I see an older, uh, older uh, uh, woman or man, and I say, you know, Frank or Francine, well, why are you still, you know, why, when are you going to retire? Well, I can't retire. You know, I had all my money in WAMU, or I had all my retirement in, in Countrywide, or I had all my life savings in PNC, or, or Fannie Mae, or Freddie Mac, and gosh, you know, so I've got to work, Rob. You know, that's why I'm still working, because I've got to. So you don't want to hear that. You want to diversify a little bit. But yeah, I don't know if I'd be a big buyer of, of any publicly held companies right now, especially if, if your livelihood is being earned from this business. So yeah, United Wholesale Stockholders, uh, you know, SPACs in general, uh, they've, they've really, the, the popularity of using a, a, a SPAC to go public has, has diminished as the months have gone by in 2021, which is interesting. So uh, as it is now, you know, we've got a nice set of, of companies that are public and we can kind of watch their performance and see how they do and their financials are revealed to the industry so we can uh, compare other companies to those. So, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is, but would I buy any, any of that? You know, probably not. Um, you're sticking with water, right? Isn't that what you said? You're investing your money in water? water right. He said that before. These are heavily invested in water companies. Well, but it's it's so boring. It's right. so boring, Rich. Right. I mean, it's, you know, they pay their little dividends and, you know, it's just they no, no one's shooting to the moon. You know, it's not like Apple Computer or Google or Amazon. But like I said, if uh, push comes to shove, I can go for a week or two without getting the newest Apple product. I can't go for a week or two without clean water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when things get rough. And it's water been a tough down. week. 
tough week for all stocks. Oh, I've just been staring at my screen, like crying all week, uh, including mortgage stocks. But Chopra, so what I've heard, and, and we've invited him to speak uh, at our 12 Days of TMC event coming up, and we want him to. And I, like, uh, open mind, totally open mind. I judge people by their actions only and nothing else. What I've heard is that, like, you know, when Biden coalesced all the Democratic candidates behind him, when there's like six of them, Buttigieg ended up getting uh, transportation secretary. Bernie Sanders got all kinds of policy, you know, they, to get people to drop out. They make them promises. I heard that Elizabeth Warren, it was we'll get your guy Chopra ahead of CFPB because that's her that's her baby. You, you heard any of those rumors? Yeah. Unless, Tracy, you want to jump in or should I take this? No, one? go ahead. So it's interesting because this guy is only 39 years old. And to have been involved in the formation of the CFPB 10 or 12 years ago, he was in his mid-20s, late 20s. And so here he is leading the CFPB, and he's 39. And you're right, he's a a disciple of Elizabeth Warren. He's not a fan of big banks. You know, so Wells Fargo, you know, you're talking about our uh, nervousness with United Wholesale's uh, stockholders or, or Loan Depot's legal team. You know, if you're if you're a big bank and you're you know watching this happen, you have a, a right to be nervous uh, to the extent that you're not doing something right. If you're doing everything right, then then so be it. The problem with big banks, as we all know, is that they're so huge and there's so many moving pieces. It's not like a little you know twenty person mortgage company or a small servicing institution. These big banks have have so many moving pieces that it's very difficult for compliance people to really keep keep up on things. And the latest big fine against Wells Fargo reminds us that, you know, even though you might be trying to do the right thing, you might not always do it. If you're a mortgage servicer in our industry, uh, you know, there's not necessarily a target on your back, but you need to be careful about what you're doing and making sure that your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And make sure that you are adhering to the rules and regulations and, and customer service, uh, uh, not regulations, but just, you know, treating the customer, c- customer well and trying to, you know, taking care of complaints as soon as you can. Because, you know, the CFPB is very interested in forbearance, very interested in, in how servicers are treating their clients. And so it's a, it'll be interesting. I, I think he's, like I said, he's not a big fan of banks, big banks, especially. And he probably is is going to set out, maybe not as bad as Richard Cordray was in terms of wanting to make his own mark, but he's, you know, he's got a job to do. And he's, and and I think we know, given his past alliances, we know where his, you know, attention will be and where his focus will be. So it'll be uh, interesting. I hope we don't, as an industry, go through the upheaval that we went through in 2012, 2014 with the CFPB and Richard Cordier trying to, you know, make his mark, you know, like a, like a bear on a tree, you know, scratch the tree and mark his territory. I don't think we're at that point as an industry, but it's, it's still uh, a cause for concern and companies definitely want to, to focus on compliance uh, and so forth with, with this in mind. 
one of our members, I forget which one, it was, it's always stuck with me. I'm not the person, but the, the line, big football fan said like your head of compliance is like your left tackle. If you're, if you're a football team, you know, like protect your quarterback, your CEO, uh, left tackle protects the blind side, the bears left tackle Tracy last week was like a turnstile. And so that's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always stuck with me like go get your left tackle go get your head of compliance and maybe hasn't been that important the last four years uh but probably really important now but uh switching topics a couple other topics i wanted to get into that to me are kind of fascinating uh news stories that are uh, tied to mortgage and the housing industry uh one is a study that uh, zillow group put out this week about just rents across america skyrocketing um, up over 10% nationally over year over year. Uh, some pockets are up 25%. Um, some of the recent trends the last couple of months are where you're seeing a lot of the increase. Um, and just it has a big impact on our industry, obviously, because people got to live somewhere. They got to pay to live somewhere. Um, the other is all these homes coming out of forbearance, um, the forbearance relief programs, and it's hard to exactly figure it out. It's 15 months and some went into it different months, but it feels like the majority of the people are like coming out of it in October. So you're going to have basically 1.6 million homes that are going to come out of forbearance. It's a pretty significant number because I did some research today. Uh, right now, there's like 650,000 homes for sale in America, which is about like half of what it should be because of the, the obvious inventory issues. So uh, I'm just like, I don't know the answer to this. Like, I mean, some, I guess a lot of these properties, the people are capable of paying and just went in the forbearance and now they're going to just start paying. Um, some may sell because they got equity. I'm just, uh, Tracy, any, any thoughts on how the hell this is going to play out with all these homes coming out of forbearance? Is it going to impact the supply inventory? It's got to have some positive impact, right? Yes. Or, you know, I think at the same point, and I might be wrong, the student loans that had been paused are also supposed to kind of come back and they have to make payments. So we'll see what happens from that. And if there's going to be delinquencies that start showing up on credit reports or, um, you know, how people can move towards that. I mean, with you had a lot in your question, so I don't know if you want to focus on the rent side or the inventory side or, or all of it mixed together. Um, but, you know, I was reading an article, even uh, as rents go up, as home prices go up, as um, first-time home buyers are trying to get their um, home, they're in competition with landlords that are buying up these properties so that they, you know, for the borrower that thought that they were going to, you know, have a $1,400 uh, mortgage payment, the, the, the landlord came in, got that property, swept it up, so they didn't have a chance so that they could charge rent for 1900. So it's it's the first time home buyer seems to be the person no matter what that is getting screwed in this process because as the rent goes up, they're still renting, they're limited on what they have out there that they can even get their hands on and and what they they can do to get into a home for the first time. Um you know, on the one hand, and I was talking to a few customers about this, uh you, you know, you talk about what it looks like for our industry. If rates go up a little bit, but property values are still going up, people are still going to look to do their refis because, you know, they'll have more equity in the home. So it could be a positive, but um, the real suffering is going to come to the person that's looking to, to purchase a home outright. I think that's where um, we have to kind of look at, at what we're doing and how 
fair lending can work for these individuals because it's just it's it's kind of squishing it smaller and smaller as we go by. This is the rundown with Rob and Rich. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Crisman. Also this week, joined by the Chief Operating Officer of Partners Credit and Verification Services, Tracy King Donadio. Rob, prediction, thoughts on the, all these homes coming out of forbearance. Be more uh, positive than I was, Rob. I sounded negative, Nancy. You can be uh, a little more cheerful. Debbie Downer, negative Nancy. Probably a few more names out there. No, I would enrich to your to your to your wide ranging question there. And and Trace, just so you know, Rich is good at about asking like eight questions in all in like a paragraph. Uh, I've seen the show. It kind of felt good that I got to say that back to him. I usually watch you say, so where's the question there? And I felt like I, I had my moment. No. Rich, I mean, it's right, Rich is spot on because there, there's so many issues to, that we can talk about. Um with regard to this, Rich, I, I'm still bullish on, on real estate values. I've been bullish for a while. I was talking to somebody this morning who has a, an acquaintance who is in forbearance. And I said, what, you know, what, what's going to happen there? And this person said, well, uh, they are going to uh, uh, see where it goes. But as a stopgap measure, they've got you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity in their house versus what they owe, and they're going to sell their house. And they'll be a buyer. You know, they'll be a buyer. And a lot of the people who are in forbearance, it's not like the, you know, $3 million Park Avenue, you know, condo that's in forbearance. It's, you know, it's, it's back going back to the some of the issues that we had back in 2008, 2010. It's a lot of those lower level starter homes almost, you know, three bedroom, two bath, two bedroom, two bath in a track home out, you know, outside of Phoenix or Las Vegas or wherever it might be. Now, granted, there are, there are a lot of homes around the nation forbearance, but they are typically at price points that will encourage a, you know, other buyers to come in other first time home buyers and, or B there and, or, or, um, people who want to own a rental house or more rental houses. So I, I think that, uh, you know, initially a year ago, a year and a half ago, oh my gosh, forbearance, it was, it, it harkened back to people talking about foreclosure. When are we going to get this tidal wave of foreclosures? And this was, you know, 2008, 2010, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to swamp the market and prices are going to plummet even more, et cetera. And that didn't turn out to be the case this time around. When you look at the MBA's forbearance numbers or Black Knight's forbearance numbers, they basically have done nothing but go down gradually over time. And so the the forbearance people are, are are back at work, you know. Yeah. They're back at work and or they're saying, well, I've got you know two hundred thousand dollars of equity. I bought this house for two hundred. Now I can sell it for four hundred. And there's a bit there's bidding wars out there at, at this price level, and so. Yeah, as we know as an industry, not everybody deserves to own a home. Oh my gosh. Oh, we've got visuals. We got visuals. uh, And so not everybody deserves to own a home. And so those people in forbearance, yeah, they can figure it out. It's not, there are, they have options. And go ahead, Tracy. 
I was going to say, I thought I read a study or heard a study that said that by the end of the year, the jobs that were lost um, during COVID will be recovered by the end of this year. I don't know if that's right or wrong or, or whatnot, but I don't know if some of the people that are in forbearance still are just going the full time, whether they need to be there or not. They know that they have it available to a certain degree and why not ride this wave because we can, you know, have that extra income per month and it's just getting tacked on to the end of my mortgage. I don't think they're thinking, you know, it's that kind of instant in the moment. Well, yeah, I'd like more money in my pocket today versus who knows what's going to happen, you know, 15 years from now. So I think that they might, they're probably a significant amount of them just writing this through. I got one buddy in forbearance and he's completely capable of paying. He just like, he's one of those guys yeah. like, government and it's just been taking that money and like betting it on reddit meme stocks every month instead um so he's like i don't know how many people are like him that are just 100 capable of paying and are taking- i think a lot I, I you know i don't want to speculate but i do think there's quite a bit especially as rob says that it's been tapering off slowly it's not as if there continues to be a need i think it's just following through and unemployment rates you know of jobs that are out there, especially in the income range that Rob's speaking of, it's not that there doesn't seem to be opportunities there. And I don't want to speak in total general terms and have a completely unpopular opinion, but. What what I think, Rich, is interesting, you, you have this graph up here from realtor.com about active listings. You know, th- there are more realtors than there are listings out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that tell us? The The, the market is, either A, has too many realtors, which is arguably true, arguably. but B, thing, things get snapped up at, certain, at many price points around the nation. Things get snapped up either by first-time home buyers or people who, who want to buy a rental house. So, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And, and, you know, for those that are listening to this as a podcast, I've got a graph up right now that's uh, realtor.com actually came out with, they did their, I think it's monthly, like housing market study. Uh, They released it yesterday. It's worth Googling and maybe someone from the TMC team can Google it up and put the link in the chat. Um, But it's, it's a really fascinating look at the current state of housing. Um, you know, pretty comprehensive report that goes through everything. Obviously, you know, median listing prices and listings and new listings and stats on how long homes are staying on the market. But the graph that uh, I have up right now is just active listings, which is about right now six hundred fifty thousand. Actually, up about one hundred fifty thousand from the spring. But uh, as the graph shows, just down more than half of what listings were three or four years ago. Uh, and I just, man, you, you, you talk about all these initiatives that we have that are out there related to affordable housing, of which there's none to buy. You talk about the fact that builders are still not building nearly like there's still supply line issues. And we know a lot of builders, we got seven or eight builder owned mortgage companies that are parts of TMC, talk to them fairly regularly. Builders are building homes. Sure, they're building homes, but but not even at the level they should be, forgetting about the catch-up that they have to make for the last year and a half and the five years before that. So I just, you know, again, and I, we were talking about this problem getting worse nine months ago on this show, and it's getting a lot worse. I don't see anything out there that is preventing this from continuing to get worse and worse until there's major problems and you're going to need major government intervention before it's too late. To me, this really seems like an issue that 
should be handled right now. And I'm not a big government guy at all, but it does need some government intervention in my mind. And it was good. Sandra Thompson, when this was brought up to her at our conference last week, she perked up unlike any question we asked her, which to me was promising. So. Yeah. The question is, what does that look like? You know? And, and yeah, and she didn't have answers for that, nor did I expect her to. It's a complex topic. We've talked about some issues on this show before that could certainly help uh, the issue. Um, you know, and uh, there's no the one Swarovski plan. The, the Swarovski <laughs> plan, right? Exactly. It seems simple to me. I, you know, I, I don't. I'm sure there's some major loophole or something I'm missing there that makes it stupid. But uh, you know, basically, just you know. Disincenting, uh, di- disincenting through policy, uh, institutional investors from gobbling up all these investment properties because they're just buying them and reselling them or renting them out. It's making the pro- problem worse. And for those individuals that are not institutional investors, by definition, that own investment properties, incenting them to sell their homes as opposed to continuing to rent them out. So, I- you know, we may uh, uh, along those lines, Rich. I was talking to my cousin who's an accountant. And he said that with the tax law changes, they are uh, not telling clients, but uh, nudging them to say, all right, if the tax law changes, if capital gains taxes go up, you may want to sell your property before the end of the year. And there's some discussion about whether or not this, there's a September 13th date for some of these capital gains uh, tax changes to take effect or whether it might be the first of the year and, you know, how that plays out. But, you know, maybe that provides some some motive for some people to to, to sell. But, you know, uh, you know, when I talk to when I talk to owners of rental properties, they're very happy. I mean, they they view it as they have uh, had a property that's appreciated. They expect it to continue to appreciate and they're providing a home for somebody who either doesn't want to own a home or isn't, um, uh, isn't ready yet to buy a home. And so they say, well, you know, we're, 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 we're giving the Smiths or the Nuyans or the Nanas or whoever, you know, a, a, a place to live until they save up for a down payment or whatever it is. Um, so the, the rental, the rental owners out there, I think aren't in any big hurry to 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 sell. I think it'll be interesting, and and, and that goes not only for mom and pops, uh, but also for you know the the you know colony homes or black Blackstone, you know some of these huge companies that own tens of thousands of houses, they aren't in any hurry either. Well, they're reaping the benefits. Of course, they're not in a hurry. They're right. they're able to raise their rent because people can't buy houses, they're they're the competition for those first-time home buyers. So they're they're reaping the benefits, even though they're paying for more, they can jack up their rent prices right now. So yeah, yeah they're gonna stay. So I guess to what Rich is saying, it it's there's two parts of it is what's there's not the inventory. And then there's two of looking at how we can get and you know what we all talk about is selling the dream of owning a home. You know, that's supposed to be the the base of what we all do is to get people into a home and to live that dream. And, um, you know, the farther we, if you, if you're looking at the inventory, if you're looking at the competition, if you're looking at the, the, the renters that want to, um, uh, or the, 
the, t- the landlords, obviously, that want to have that going, it's what about the first-time home buyers? What about the people that are trying to get in there and create a life for themselves and aren't able to do so? Yeah, I, I think that the the best thing that lenders can do right now is have the have a good working knowledge and a good offering for first-time home buyers to know what kind of down payment assistance programs are out there that they can avail themselves of and to be able to you know spring into action when Mr. and Mrs. you know Wong come through the door and and they have never owned a home and they're both 28 years old or 32 years old and you know they've got they've saved up you know five or ten thousand dollars for down payment what can that lender do for for the wongs a hundred percent what's that i said a hundred percent and and you know you're talking about things slowing down a little bit i think the differentiator um for a lot of rent lenders is going to be for working with the longs it's going to be who's the one that's looking at how to help a home buyer in a way that's not just your perfect vanilla file and I think that's what's going to separate people. And that's what people need to start looking into right now in terms of, um, you know, the the effort that they put into the borrowers that they're working with. Yeah. It reminds me of a joke, something about two Wongs don't make a right. But anyway, let's save that probably, for another. Someone episode. is probably, yeah. It looks like we're going to get help from the agencies, clearly, Fannie and Freddie on the margins on products and guidelines and down payments. There's clearly going to be some relaxation coming there. But again, there's just there's no homes. You know, I, I to me, we're just we're heading towards just a a, a train wreck. Like, like I, you got, I mean, Biden's got some great ambitious people in these housing roles that are just we heard Sandra speak last week that are just like. Let's go. Come on. They are full of piss and vinegar and ready to enact in their mind positive change. But it's like there's no there's no homes. There's I, don't, no- I don't want them. I don't want them enacting change in my in my neighborhood, Rich. I, but, you know, and I mean, and then the same people that want to be homeowners, the people they want to help that are currently renting because there's no homes, because there's no affordable housing, because nothing's being done about it. Um, they're seeing the rent go up, like the Zillow report we just saw. Rents are skyrocketing, and why wouldn't they? You talked about your landlord buddy; he's happy as a pig and shit. He's, you know, his value of his home's going up. He's raising his rent. It's like he, he knows values are going to continue to go up because he's smart or she's smart and knows that uh, the lack of supply is going to continue to increase the value of his property. So you know, so basically, we're back to where we started, which is um, we just need to eat some dark chocolate and drink some wine. That's a yeah. I, I, I was going to warn you, Tracy, that when the show's like got thirty seconds left, Rich starts swearing like a sailor. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a sure, it's a sure sign. I like to stay somewhat positive, but all of us have basically, I, Rob. I actually think you gave one of the more positive um, aspects of the whole show, which was very surprising and rich and i are the ones coming in being like no no the funny part is like my staff makes fun of me for being too glass half full i'm a very positive person but i'm also like just not today rich like, not like, today like somebody tell me where i'm wrong here somebody tell me how this problem with inventory and supply and affordable housing just doesn't continue to get worse and worse and worse for the next year i like and even if something smart was done today it would still take a while so uh, I don't know. It, 
it's it, it's a it's a it's a quagmire rich when you when i mean i you know we could have a whole session just on that but if you think about the typical family and whether or not they work from home or whether they were almost regardless of where they work they want to be near a city center so that they can go to you know macy's or nordstrom's or they can go in to restaurants or they can go into the, the football game or the baseball game if you look at the city centers though around the nation it's not like you can you can it's not like there's 20 raw acres you know 15 minutes out of downtown seattle or downtown dallas it's it's a problem so anyway we've run out of time we are out of time, um, but uh, as always, like to you know get the pulse on uh, what the weekend plans are to end on a more positive note than affordable housing shortages. Uh, Rob, you always got some kind of sport activity going on. You would like a haunted house guy, or no? <laughs> uh, well, I was going to I, I was going to ask Tracy because I, I read in the newspaper that you did a half marathon. So congratulations on that. Are you doing another one Thank tomorrow you. or Sunday? Uh, no, I I have a run coming up in about a month that I have to start training for, and I just stopped sweating uh, Cabernet post uh, the mortgage collaborative event. So I'm going to get back on track with my my running probably tomorrow. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play hoops tomorrow morning. There you go. There you go. Yeah. How about you, Rich? Uh, a high school football game tonight. Uh, I've actually. Oh, got... how was your concert that oh, you were so excited for? Oh, Eric Church is unbelievable. I it, it's amazing what a good show he puts on, and uh, it was incredible. Um, it was yeah, it was it was really good. I so good that I'm I'm his tour goes for like a year, and he's all over places within a couple hours for me over the course of the next six months. So uh, maybe talking about some additional Eric church concerts, but uh, in, uh, in honor of that, Rich, I went down the uh, Eric church, YouTube rabbit hole uh, while you were at the concert, you know, trying to live vicariously. Nice. Yeah. I sent you some pictures. It was a, uh, it was a great show. And uh, yeah. And then tomorrow, actually all four, all four of me and my girlfriend's teenagers have things going on tomorrow. So I have a rare, uh, figure out something to do go out to eat or do something fun and then yeah sunday bunch of people over the house for browns vikings so you have four girlfriends rich no <laughs> one barely you can handle one uh, oh, oh I, i'm sorry Miss, you said all, all all of my girlfriends okay never mind four kids oh, or teenagers all have either sleepovers or homecoming or something so yeah the rare free evening so but you know. yeah all right excellent well as always uh thank you very much to all of our attendees uh, taking some time out with us to wrap up the week rob good seeing you as always uh always enjoy the conversation tracy sorry about the bears and the kayaking thing but uh you know great conversation way to bring it full circle with the red wine and the dark chocolate that was like a, a professional uh uh, journalist uh, move right there. So uh, enjoyed the conversation as always and appreciate the partnership with partnership. Yes, thank you. This was fun, guys. Uh, and as always, three o'clock Eastern every Friday, the rundown with Robin Rich. We'll see you next Friday. I think Bob Brokesmith said he's going to come on. Rob, are we, uh, is that, should I not have broken that news there? Oh, whoops. Did he... <laughs> so we're hoping to have so, Bob from NBA. Well, 
You've never talked to him. I've heard nothing but great things about the guy. No, I I, uh, I like Bob a lot, uh, but but kind of like the Federal Reserve has a quiet period before the next Fed meeting. Um, there might be a quiet period that the NBA goes through ahead of uh, their national conference where they don't give speeches because they don't want to steal their thunder during the conference. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, he was open to coming on. So I, I think oh, yeah, it may, it may be after the conference, though. OK, cool. So awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody. Until next Friday at 3, Eastern, have a great weekend and a great next week. And we'll see you then. Take care. Bye. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.